Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Welcome to the Guide to Existence, where we examine the mitzvahs of the Torah, of the weekly Torah portion, through the lens of Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, and Hasidus. Today, we are going to talk about, you guessed it, Passover, the holiday that is coming up upon us. But I also want to tie it into the weekly Parsha, and we're going to talk about some mitzvahs along the way as well. There's a lot to talk about Passover. Actually, um, we're not going to cover everything tonight, but I want to share with you just one of the Kabbalistic angles, uh, undertones, themes that is spread out throughout the Passover saga. Um, so I want to begin with this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Tazria, and it's about this strange skin condition called Saras, which many have um, mistakenly translated as leprosy. It's not leprosy. It's kind of like leprosy. It's like a skin condition that took place in the times of the Torah, and it is attributed to a spiritual shortcoming that has a physical manifestation, just like all physical pain, all illness on the physical level has its roots in the emotional, psychological, and spiritual, right? So when a person is suffering from something physically, they have to ask themselves, where am I out of alignment, right? The word, where am I, where am I imbalanced, out of balance? unbalanced in my emotional relationships, my emotional makeup, my psychological, my thoughts, or my spiritual. So let's take a look at this, at this, um, this thing called Saras. And I'm going to share you, share with you guys a PowerPoint. It's a, it's an oldie, but goodie. This is one of the first PowerPoints I made back at the beginning of COVID. And it's about Lushan Hara, the power of positive speech, sanitizing our mouths from spiritual germs. Now, I came up with this PowerPoint like literally like a week or two after COVID began, way back then, if you guys can remember, all the way back then. And um, to share a few insights into why I thought, now again, we, can, we never know why something happens in this world. We can never know with certainty, but our job is to ask ourselves why. And I'll start with showing you some sources about that. The Talmud says, when suffering falls upon a person, he should examine his deeds. We don't believe anything is a coincidence. By the way, Jaylene, welcome back. We don't believe anything in this world is a coincidence. If something goes wrong in your life, it's for a reason and not a punishment but a message. The universe, God is communicating us through the universe, through the experiences of our life. There's a concept in Jewish mysticism called Mida Keneged Mida, which is literally, how do you translate Mida Keneged Mida in ancient Sanskrit? Anyone speak ancient Sanskrit? Karma. What goes around comes around. Mita Kanegan Mita means that what you put out is what comes back. And that's the way that Hashem relates to us. That if you put out negative energy, negative energy comes back to you. And what's the purpose for that is that we can learn 
from the experience of our life to try to understand what's happening to us. If it was all random, then we'd never be able to figure out what we have to repair. But when we put out a certain type of energy, that's the exact energy that comes back at us. So it's not mysterious. Any questions on this so far? So right after COVID, the greatest rabbi of the generation who just passed away a week ago, Rav Chaim Chenievsky, who was really the, in many ways, the undisputed leader of the generation. Judaism doesn't vote on leaders, right? We don't have a pope or a chief rabbi, really. The state of Israel has a chief rabbi, but that's not a Jewish concept. There's never been, I mean, there has been back in the day, there was a political figure known as the Reish Galusa, which was kind of like the chief rabbi who went as a go-between with the government and governments do have chief rabbis. But in a spiritual sense, we don't have one leader. There's no one leader of the Jewish people. But in every generation, there are certain characters, certain personalities, certain righteous people who the whole Jewish world just kind of recognizes that this person is like above everyone else. So Reb Chaim Kanievsky was, was, was one of those people and really in many ways was the person like that. He was undisputed in his understanding and knowledge of the Torah. He finished learning the entire gamut of the Torah every single year. Every year he learned the entire Tanakh, that's the five books of Moses and the 22 books of the prophets. He finished the entire Talmud. He finished the entire code of Jewish law. He finished all of the books of Kabbalah. He finished, um, basically, he learned everything every year, which, which if you learn one page of Talmud a day, it takes you seven years to finish. So he learned seven pages of Talmud a day. But that was just the Babylonian Talmud. There's also Jerusalem Talmud, which he also finished every year. So I mentioned this last week in the class, but it's just amazing to mention it again. He used to finish the entire Torah every year on the day right before Pesach, on the eve of Passover. And this year was a leap year. So on a leap year, there's 13 months instead of 12 months. So on a leap year, he finished early. He finished one month early on Purim. And then he, what did he do for the extra month? He would write a book. Every time there was a leap year, he would write a book. So um, the stories that are coming out about him are just unbelievable. Like he literally, a, a pregnant woman who was told by doctors that the, that the fetus would have the, all these crazy problems, he would tell her something to pray or something to say or something to do, and the baby would be totally fine. Like unbelievable stories. So, um, so this year was a leap year. So he finished the entire Torah on Purim and he passed away a day later, which is just unbelievable. So Rav Chaim Kenyevsky, when the coronavirus started, said as follows. Regarding the concern of transmission of the coronavirus pandemic, everyone must strengthen themselves to refrain from speaking Lashon Hara. It's a picture of Rav Chaim. What is Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is bad speech. It's speaking badly about other people. And um, it's one of the worst things we can do, according to Jewish tradition. So why is this connected to the coronavirus? It's very simple. Coronavirus is germs that we put out with our mouths. So we have to trace it to the spiritual root. So perhaps, again, 
He's not a prophet. He's saying perhaps the message that we can learn from this is that we have to be careful of the spiritual germs that we're putting out by speaking badly about each other. So what does this have to do with this week's Parsha? In this week's Parsha, we have this mitzvah of saras, of the skin blemish. And the person who gets the skin blemish has to quarantine outside the camp for seven days and then another seven days. If it doesn't go away, why does he have to go outside the camp? Our rabbi said, when, why is the Mitzorah different from other impure people that he must quarantine? Since he's separated between husband and wife, between a person and his friend, by speaking Lashon Hara, he too must be isolated. So the Talmud attributes this spiritual skin disease to speaking badly about other people. And we'll try to get to the spiritual roots of why that is, uh, I think, actually in this PowerPoint. True or false? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Anyone? I see one head shaker. Not true. I'm guessing all of you are shaking your heads also, but I can't see. Jaylene, why is it not true? Words do hurt. In fact, words hurt more. Because you can break bones and bones can heal. And bones do heal. Physical pain goes away with time. Emotional pain sometimes never goes away. Sometimes trauma never goes away. So it's actually quite the opposite. It's the words that really hurt. So the Talmud says, just like Torah, learning Torah equals all the mitzvahs combined. Learning Torah is the greatest mitzvah. So to speaking Lashon Hara equals all sins combined. According to the Talmud, speaking badly about other people is the worst sin in the Torah. And I should have started by asking you, what's the worst sin in the Torah? And see if anyone got it. Most people will say murder. Says the Talmud, it's worse than murder. Why is it worse than murder? Why is killing someone worse than... Why is speaking badly about someone worse than murder? So how did God create the world? Speech. The power of speech. The word, word. <laughs> How do you say word in Hebrew? Devar. Devar. And devar also means a thing. A word and a thing is the same word. Why? Because God created things with words. So according to Kabbalah, at the root of everything is the spiritual DNA of that thing, which is the vibrational letters of that thing it's an energy it's a vibration did i ever tell you the story that happened to me when i was reading a book on quantum physics so i literally fell off the chair i have a book on quantum physics i've been kind of reading it for like 10 years i haven't gotten through it yet but it's a good book it's actually made for uh lay people who don't know much about physics it's by a guy named something green jewish guy called the elegant universe it's very good i definitely recommend anyone who's interested in learning about quantum physics so according to quantum physics a modern theory is that 
what's at the root of all matter? Does anyone know what the smallest thing is? The building block of creation? Smaller than atoms. Smaller, smaller than molecules. Um, kind of. But they don't call it that. Oh, also kind of. What they call it is strings. String theory. Why do they call it strings? Because it's tiny vibrations. And the way the thing vibrates determines what type of molecule it is. So, or what type of atom it is, or what type of quark it is. I don't, can't claim to understand it. But when I read that, I almost fell off the chair because that's what the Torah says. The Torah says that the world is created at the deepest level with speech. And speech is vibrations. So according to Kabbalah, you see a table. You think it's a table. It's not a table. It's a shulchan. That's how you say table in Hebrew. What does that mean? It means the Hebrew letters, shin, lamed, ches, and nun, are the vibrational frequencies that make up table. So each thing at its root is really just letters. And there's a whole, one of the earliest Kabbalistic texts, Sefer Yetzirah, talks all about this. The energy of the letters that make up reality. So, how did God create Adam? You see, all things were created equally, except for one. God created the world using what? Speech. How did God create Adam? Well, let's see. Yeah. He formed him and then blew into him. So Adam is made up of two things. One is the formation of his body, which comes from the stuff that had already been created, the things, the physical things that had been created with speech. But then he was given a divine soul, which was created through breath. And the Zohar says, Kabbalah explains that breath comes from a deeper part than speech. Speech is a surface level. Breath comes from the very essence that God placed into us, his very essence. What is breath? Breath is not just the speech. It's the source of speech. In fact, it's the ability to speak. And that's the ancient uh, translation of the Torah in Aramaic translates the living soul to the words ruach memalilo, which means a speaking spirit. What did God blow into us? He blew into us the very power of speech. That's what makes us human. It's the ability to speak. And that's what differentiates us from all other living things. Another time I fell off my chair reading a secular book was uh, a few summers ago, I was reading, I saw a book called Sapiens by Noah Harari, an Israeli anthropologist. And I think the book is kind of negative on religion, so I don't necessarily recommend reading it. But the chapter that I read was about human evolution. And he said, do you know what caused, I think it might've been called the Tower of Babel, actually. Do you know what caused human beings to trans 
form in a in a exponentially qualitatively different way than animals you have the whole animal kingdom and suddenly human beings explode into a totally different dimension what enabled according to anthropology human beings to develop so different than animals says this book the power of speech that animals can only communicate immediate physical things they can communicate storm coming danger approaching food water desire to mate but they can't communicate things that aren't here or aren't in the physical world they can't communicate abstract ideas and it's only through abstract communication that we have the ability to cooperate together to build cities to design governments to organize to create poetry to philosophize that is what differentiates human beings from animals in addition to the fact that we walk upright and have opposable thumbs so that's what the torah itself says that god blew into us not just speech the surface letter words but the ability to speak the breath itself that enables us to speak so when we speak badly we're literally taking our most divine faculty the place that we have the ability to be god-like to create worlds just like god does and we destroy worlds with that faculty couple of verses from the Torah. Do not be a gossip peddler among your people. I am God, one who guards his mouth and tongue, guards his soul from suffering. It says in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon, and who is someone who desires life? King David says, guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceitfully. So what is Lashon Hara? We're not going to get into that now. But basically speaking badly about people, whether it's true or not true, it falls into different categories. But basically, no matter what, even if it's true, you can't speak badly about other people unless there's a real benefit and you have to really examine yourself. Is it really a benefit or do you just enjoy knocking someone down? Why do we enjoy knocking other people down? Why does it make us feel good? The answer is very simple. What type of people like to knock other people? People aren't happy or don't feel good about themselves, right? If you're comfortable with yourself, if you, if you have positive, healthy self-esteem, self-compassion, you don't need to knock other people. You can love other people. You, you don't, other people aren't a threat to you. So, okay, we're going to skip that. And how do you fix Lashon Hara? If you speak badly about another person, how do you fix it? That's great. You could try to stop the trend. But the, the answer is someone once came to a great rabbi and said, Rabbi, I spoke really badly about somebody and I feel terrible about it. How do I fix it? And the rabbi said, go take a pillow, a feather pillow, go out into the town square and cut open the pillow and then come back to me. And the, the guy did it. He didn't know why, but sometimes rabbis tell us to do weird things. And uh, 
He cut open the pillow. The feathers start flying all over the place. He goes back to the rabbi. The rabbi says, now go back and pick up all those feathers. He says, Rabbi, I can't. It's impossible. He said, so too with Lashon Hara. Once you say something, it spreads. And it's impossible to fix that damage because it's you've already ruined a person's reputation. So Yiddish saying, a word is like a bird. Once you let it out of your mouth, it flies away and keeps on flying. The Baal Shem Tov famously said, words can destroy, can create or destroy worlds. Right? Words can build or words can destroy. And our job is to use our faculty of speech to create, not to destroy. It's interesting to point out that the word for plague is directly related to the word for word. Dever is a plague. Again, pointing out the correlation, perhaps, between negative speech and plague. All right. That was it for the slideshow. Any questions? So what does that have to do with Passover? I wish I had a slideshow for this to share with you. But let's go through some themes. Um, we know that when the Jewish people were in Egypt enslaved, so God chose Moshe to redeem the Jewish people. And Moshe said back to God, how can I save the Jewish people? I'm not a man of words. I'm not good with my words. I'm not, uh, I'm not a good speaker. So it's kind of interesting that Moshe happened to say that. And it really corresponds with a theme that is woven throughout Kabbalah about the power of speech. The Zohar says, the Book of Kabbalah says, that in Egypt, the power of speech was in exile. Power of speech was in exile. What does that mean? What is, what does that mean that the power of speech was in exile? So what is speech? We said God created the world using speech, but what is speech? God doesn't really speak. God doesn't have a mouth, right? These are all metaphors. What is speech? Ah, excellent. Communicating what? Ah. So according to Jewish mysticism, the idea, the concept of speech is taking that which is hidden within you and bringing it out so that others can relate to it. We essentially are disconnected from each other on the physical level. How do we connect? It's through our speech. I can bring you into my inner world. I can share with you what's going on really inside me. So when we say that God spoke, what we really mean is God took his hidden infinite existence and brought it into tangible reality that we can have a relationship with him. So speech is the bringing out of within. It's self-expression. So in Egypt, what is slavery? What is slavery? What's the essence of slavery? Based on this idea, perhaps, the message is, is that the essence of slavery is when you don't have the ability 
to really express yourself. That slavery, being enslaved, is when you lack self-expression. When you're trapped within and you can't bring out into fruition what you truly believe. Think about it. What is a slave unable to do? Well, in certain ways they can. In what ways can they be themselves? And in what ways can they not be themselves? <laughs> right? They have a personality. What else do they, can they do? Unfettered. What can a slave do as much as they want? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> what else? Excellent. They can think. A slave has freedom inside, but what do they not have freedom to do? They can dream, they can think, they can plan, but they can't put their thoughts into action. They can't express, bring their thoughts out into full expression, right? Obviously, some things they can share, but they can't act on their dreams. Freedom is when you have unity between your thoughts and your values and your actions. That's the idea of freedom. It's being able to bring out and express yourself fully, which means taking expression not only on the, not only inside your head, but also through your speech, through your emotions, and through your actions. It's the alignment of speech, thought, and action, which are actually the three ways that the soul expresses itself the soul can do three things soul can speak the thought soul can thought can talk and the soul can do that's what souls do they cause you to express them okay so the, uh, let's go through a few, few more sources so how, what prevents us from living with integrity and living full self-expression How many people here have certain values and goals that you're not keeping? How many people? <laughs> all right. How many people raise your hands and all you invisible people? I hope you're raising your hands at home. How many people should be exercising more? How many people should be eating healthier? Or eating less? Maybe eating more. It could also be something that you might need to do. How many people should be sleeping more or sleeping less? <laughs> How many people should be studying more for your test or preparing more for your job or learning more Torah, doing more mitzvahs, calling your grandmother more often? We all have things we should be doing. We know we should be doing. Why don't we do them? What prevents us from acting on what we know to be true? So laziness is definitely a part of it. And that's actually one level of the slavery is that we're enslaved by our bodies. Our bodies are inherently lazy. We have to lift up the body to get it to do what we want it to do. 
bodies compared to a horse. You have to ride that horse and channel that horse in order to accomplish your goals and values. But how do we do that? How do we inspire the body to do what we want it to do? See, there's a major problem. The body and the mind speak two completely different languages. They want two completely different things. Remember, the body comes from dirt. Body comes from the physical world. The soul comes from God. It's a divine breath of God. So they both want to come, go back where they came from. The body wants to essentially go back to being dirt. It wants to be lazy and do nothing. The soul wants to go back to God. It wants to accomplish, become one, become great, right? connect to perfection. So they really don't have anything in common. So how do we get the body to listen to the soul? And the answer is, is that there's a modem. Remember back in the day when there were modems, phones didn't know how to communicate with computers. So if you wanted to communicate with a phone to a computer, you needed a box that could translate phone language into computer language. I'm sure some of you guys know more about what I'm talking about than I do. So what's the modem that connects the mind to the body? There's a great line attributed to two famous rabbis. I don't know who actually said it. Maybe they both did. The greatest distance in the universe is not between heaven and earth, but it's between a person's mind and their heart. You see, the heart is the in-between between mind and body. It's called the emotions. When you're emotions are involved in something, then your body gets it. You can know that smoking kills, but you don't quit. You know when you quit? When you feel that smoking kills. That's the only time it's going to change your actions is when it goes into your emotions. So how do we get our thoughts into our emotions? The answer is through the power of speech. Speech brings down the intangible thought into physicality. Speech is the first level of physicality that connects mind to heart. It's through speaking something out, through visualizing, through bringing it down and breaking it down and expounding upon it. That's what speech does. So there's a highway that connects the mind to the heart. You know what that highway is called? It's called the neck. The throat is the place where speech takes place. Hasidim, many Hasidim have a custom not to wear a tie because they say, I don't want to disconnect my head from my heart. The tefillin that men wear, the meditation of tefillin is to bring your mind into your heart and into your actions. So um, what, how do you say Egypt in Hebrew? Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim comes from the root word tsar, meitzer, which means a place of constriction or a narrow place. Says the Arizal, the great Kabbalist, that Egypt corresponds to the neck. That Egypt is essentially the neck, the place of constriction between mind and heart. The word, who's the bad guy? The bad guy is paro. Paro, pharaoh has the same letters as the Hebrew word arif, which means neck, back of the neck. 
the Jewish people are referred to in the Torah as an Am Kashe Arif, a stiff-necked people. That means their necks are very stiff. Sometimes that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing if your neck's so stiff you can't bring your thoughts into your heart. How's it a good thing to be stiff-necked? Really means stubborn. Is that once it goes into your heart, it never leaves. That the Jewish people have held on to our beliefs through thousands of years of persecution, perhaps because of our stubbornness. It's a plus and a minus. So Egypt represents a place of constriction. The power of speech itself was in exile in Egypt. Paro can also be broken down into two words. Pe and Ra, the bad mouth. Because Paro was trying to squeeze the Jews, to constrict us, to prevent us from expressing our true selves, from bringing out our deepest thoughts and desires into actuality, into reality. So power represents the negative power of cutting us off from our speech, which is the ability to bring things out into tangibility. And the, the, the Jewish people, when they finally get out of Egypt, they go to a place called Pi-Hacherus, which means Pi-Cherus, which means the mouth of freedom. Literally, that's the place where right before the splitting of the sea, the mouth of freedom, because it's through the mouth that we're able to free ourselves through this power of self-expression. What is, how do you say Passover in Hebrew? Pesach. What does Pesach mean? Again, the word pe means mouth. Sach means the speaking mouth. Pesach is all about bringing the speech out. The mouth that speaks. And literally, what is the mitzvah that we do on the night of Passover? In addition to eating matzah, there's a lot of eating mitzvahs, by the way, on Passover. And that's another interesting thing. Because there are a lot of organs in our body that perform multiple functions. And it's really interesting. That must mean that there's a connection between those different parts, functions, if the same part of the body does both those things. For example, the ear hears. But what else does the ear do? Provides you with balance. So there's something connected to the idea of hearing and balance. The mouth speaks. The mouth also eats. What's the connection between eating and speaking? So I don't know. I'm just going to throw out a guess that just came to me today, just actually this minute, is that just like speech is the go-between between the mind and the heart, so eating is the go-between between the soul and the body. Because without food, your soul and your body can't stay together. Why is it that eating brings the soul and body together? Because eating serves a physical function. It provides nutrients for the body, but it also serves a spiritual function. Because the, when we eat, we actually connect to spiritual energy hidden inside the food. So perhaps there's a connection. I'm sure there's others. but 
there's another mitzvah on the night of Passover. Does anyone know what the mitzvah is on the night of Passover besides all the eating stuff that we do? We read from a book. Anyone know the name of the book? Haggadah. What does Haggadah mean? Literally, to speak. To tell over the story. To pass over the tradition. To literally pass it over to our children. But it's more than that. It's speaking out the story. Speaking out our origins. Speaking out our values to bring them down, to express that we can truly express what we believe in our minds. So that is one of many, but one message of Passover is that to achieve true freedom, we have to, we have to achieve true self-expression. And that means that we live in accordance to what we believe. It's not enough to think it. We have to do it. We have to bring it down to the lowest level in our speech, thought, and action. Um, so perhaps that is uh, one of the messages, and there are many, <laughs> of, pa of Passover. Any questions on any of that? Comments? Love to hear yours. Send me an email if you enjoyed this, gavrielhoran at gmail.com.